we're going to continue discovering where Jesus is in every book of the Bible. He is a very unique, uh, has a unique expression in 2 Kings. We're going to take a look at that today. And <clears throat> I am almost there on my notes. So uh, 2 Kings continues in the expression of the divided kingdom following Solomon's rule. And that's, that's where we land with that. Uh, again, there's Israel and there's Judah. And there were no righteous kings for Israel in this divided land time. There were righteous kings in Judah, though not all of them were righteous. And that's an important thing for us to note. It has a lot of significance. I'm not going to um, take, you know, like a full-on message time that I would normally because of all the things we've got going here today. So I've taken a little special extra attention to the blog. Um, so if you'll hit that, you'll see some things that I'm going to allude to today. And this is one of those, but, but Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So in this divided kingdom, Jesus is the expression, the Messiah, was preserved through the, the part of the kingdom that did possess a greater element of righteousness to express the righteousness of God. So as we see this and we start to evaluate 2 Kings, we find that there were actually two people in 2 Kings that were raised from the dead, interestingly enough. We find that the, the waters of the Jordan River are parted two different times. And I want to give you a little uh, interesting theological conjecture. I like to share with you when I'm kind of pointing something that uh, may or may not be the case, but something you might evaluate. This is, the, this is the book of the Bible where somebody gets raptured, okay? That happens twice in the Bible. But he's taken away, Elijah is taken away in 2 Kings. And so I, I thought it might be fun just to point out something that I think is really unique in that regard. But the Bible references in Revelation chapter 11 that one day there will be two witnesses that will stand and prophesy in the streets. They will be killed for declaring the righteousness of God in a day when the world does not want to hear about God's righteousness. How many of you know uh, that's a very real reality for us? And these two witnesses will stand in the streets, and the Bible says they'll be killed, they'll lay in the streets for three days, and then they'll be raised uh, to life. And all the world will look upon them. Now, isn't that interesting? All the world will look upon them. It's phenomenal when you think about it. But Israel is about the size of the panhandle of the state of Oklahoma. Get this, okay? This is a tiny track of land, the panhandle of the state of Oklahoma. That's about how big Israel is. And there is so much worldwide attention devoted to that little bitty track of land. It kind of makes sense that that prophecy will come to pass and all the world will be looking upon this little tract of land, these two prophets in the streets, all this taking place. The thing I want to just encourage you to think about with me, who are those two prophets? And a lot of people reference Matthew chapter 17 where Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And who is he talking to on the Mount of Transfiguration? Two dudes out of the Old Testament, Elijah and Moses. And so a lot of people reference those two uh, witnesses will be that. But I just want to advocate something because I, I think it's fun. I think it's interesting when you start to see things like this. But Hebrews 9 says it is appointed for each person to die. It's kind of an interesting verse, Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed for each person to die. In other words, we all have an appointment with death. It's just the nature of the fallen world that we live in. And Elijah definitely will be one of those witnesses as he'll return, he will live, and he'll die. He'll, he'll face his appointment with death. But there is somebody in the Bible that also was taken to heaven, and they did not die. 
Anybody know who that is? Yeah, early in Scripture, Genesis chapter 5, we're talking about Enoch. And I believe personally, and again, this is in a theological debate, uh, but just a fun bit of, you know, studying Scripture is just so enjoyable to learn things like this. But I believe that the two people who didn't die will be the two prophets that will return. They'll stand in the streets and prophesy. And I believe it will truly be Elijah and Enoch coming back to face their appointment with death, and then they'll be raised uh, on the third day, it'll be interesting to see all of that unfold. This is really amazing when you look in, because again, three days and raised from the dead. How I many you know Jesus is revealed in Scripture? Okay, it's all pointing to Him. It's all pointing to the symbolism. And John five has been what we've been uh, looking at. Jesus said the Scriptures point to Me. So we see Jesus revealed in a lot of unique ways in Second Kings, and I want to start. Uh, you in that journey, but again, a lot of this is blog for you to be able to look at and kind of grow deeper and go deeper in Scripture. One of the most prevailing types of Christ in all Scripture is Elijah, because Elijah, like Christ, ascended from the earth in this glor of, uh, glorious expression of you know being taken in a chariot. Jesus ascended, and the disciples were there watching. But something happened with Elijah, and it was this: Elijah went to heaven, and the Bible says his mantle fell back to the earth and Elisha picked up his mantle and struck the water and so on you know that's the second time the water parted it parted when they went across and so here Elisha is now carrying Elijah's mantle just like the church is to carry Jesus mantle because when Jesus was resurrected into heaven his mantle the Christ the anointing fell back to the earth and you and I are the anointed body of Christ we carry the mantle of Christ just like Elisha carried Elijah's mantle the mantle is an interesting thing it sounds like something that's over a fireplace right uh, we don't necessarily understand what this is this is an outer cloak and again I break down some expressions of this online you can look at this if you'd like to study it a little further but it's an outer cloak doesn't have sleeves has slits put your arms through it you you're you're you you don't change into someone else you're you that's the thing a lot of people don't understand about the anointing uh, I'm a fairly goofy person, and that doesn't change when I preach. You figured that out. Some of you appreciate my humor, and some of you may not. Uh, but regardless, you know, you just relax. It's not like, have you seen people? It's like when they start preaching, they immediately break into the King James expression of the Lord. Have you heard that before? You don't have to do that. Just relax and be you. The best you is the you God created you to be. So stop trying to be who someone else wants you to be and just be who God created you to be. So this mantle has these slits. You put your arms through it. You're still you, but you're carrying this cloak. And we see in 1 Kings 19 where, where Elijah actually comes and he throws this mantle over Elisha. And no words were exchanged. It was just a clear communication. You've been invited to the office of the prophet because the mantle is now on you. And so it was this incredible invitation. Just like Jesus is inviting us and we're clothed with Christ. So fantastic when you evaluate all that. That, that mantle, by the way, was sheepskin and it required the death of a lamb in order to actually produce the mantle and the skin for the anointed prophet. So I, in the first service, we kind of brought this element, and we, this is a moment where we prayed for Jim and Diana Howard as they passed the mantle on to uh, Chris and Lori, and it was really special, really meaningful. Um, Jim and Diana have a bell that Jim's mom, Mr. Howard's mom, when she used to be a teacher, she would ring the bell to call the class in the 1930s. And that bell was the mantle that we passed on today because she had given that to Diana when Diana came started working at the school and now Jim and Diana have given it to Chris and Lori and it was a really meaningful moment but I just want to point something out as we uh, move into 
a few verses that we're going to look at. I really, this is just such an important truth. Elisha never saw Elijah as a person who was in the way of being so that he could be used by God. You understand, I, I think a lot of times, and the older I get, the more I see this, we young guys, right? We stallion stud young guys full of zeal. We're like ready to go out and do everything God's called us to do. And, and we feel like, man, some of these older people just slow. They just, in the way, they do things the old way. And, and what, what we see in this is actually Elijah was a key to Elisha going on and doing the things God had called him to do. And so I think it's really important that we make way for the younger generation to rise up and be the Joshua generation. And I think it's very important that we make room for the Abraham generation to rise up and impart their wisdom so that those generations are functioning together. And it's kind of up to the Isaac generation. Here I stand now in that middle stream generation where I'm validating both of those generations because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I want to say we want to honor the men and women of God who have prayed, fasted, sought God, given, declared that they were going to sacrifice and serve and love and give so that we might stand on their shoulders today and become more of what God has called us to become. So yeah, let's honor that generation and declare. We recognize. We are more of who we're supposed to be because a generation served before us. Joshua didn't see Moses as a hindrance. He saw Moses as a key. It's, it's, it's interesting, but even the New Testament church, church was born when the Holy Spirit came and all this was happening. This was like old school Pentecost. We think of Pentecost as like this new thing God was doing. It was very old school. It had been going on you know, all those generations. God chose to use old school Pentecost to launch brand new power-filled church. So I, I just felt this was a really important element for us to understand as we um, walk this out today. So not really a big theme through kings. What we see is a bunch of kings that are trying to find their way. And the kings that honored God discovered the blessing of God. And the kings that, that neglected God, they discovered the consequence of sin. And th those things are realities in all of our lives today. And uh, may God help us. I mean, you know, we're all just trying to find our way. So we need to walk this out one step at a time in relationship with God and each other. So, so let's talk a little bit about Josiah today. 2 Kings 22, verse 1. The Bible says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. So I believe God can use eight-year-olds in a mighty way. Let's not despise anybody's youth. Let's really see the potential in these mighty men and women of God at a very young age. And so Josiah steps in as king. And then he starts cleaning house. And we read about that in the next chapter, 2 Kings 23, verses 3 to 5. And it says, the king stood by the pillar and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant of God. 
And the king ordered the high priest next in rank and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal. And he did away with the pagan priests who burned incense to Baal, the sun, the moon, the constellations, and all the starry hosts. Josiah went to great lengths, and we read this in Scripture, Josiah went to great lengths to address the damaging philosophies of the world that had slowly crept into the thinking of God's family, God's people. How many of you know the damaging philosophies of this world still exist today? And if we're not careful, they creep in to our way of thinking. And we have to take every thought captive. Has it ever bothered anyone when you're reading the Bible and like the Bible says, go in and conquer this people and kill everyone? Does that ever bug anybody? Like, kill all of them. Men, women, children, and animals. That has bugged me. I mean, I read that and I just think, loving God, kill them all. Loving God, kill them all. I mean, how do we reconcile that in our brain? It's a very difficult thing to, to reconcile. It's important that we as a church family sometimes talk about these complicated things. And that's one of those complicated things. But here's what we all have to understand. When, and we see this in a lot of ways, and I'll try not to go into too, too much of this elaborately. But when, when God began to try and rescue humanity because of the fall of mankind, he came to Abraham and he established a lineage through which the Messiah was going to come. The devil knew the lineage of the Messiah was coming through Abraham's descendants. And so the devil getting in to contaminate the bloodline with people who were not connected to the promise of God was his effort. That's why these kings that served God in Judah were a very important part of the Messiah that was the line of the tribe of Judah. And so understand, when they would go in and conquer new lands and they would take in these people group who worshipped all these other gods... God knew in his wisdom and foreknowledge that if they brought those people in and those beliefs began to inundate the Israelites, it would literally uh, contaminate the bloodline of the Messiah. Therefore, there had to be destruction of those to be salvation to many. And I'm so thankful. I hated that all that had to happen, but I'm so thankful. Jesus came. You and I are alive, like really alive, spiritually alive. Thank God that he preserved the bloodline and the Messiah has come. Now you apply that same thinking to this. Every thought in your mind is just like one of those soldiers that is either for or against the bloodline of the Messiah because you and I become the expression of that bloodline. That's why the Bible says take captive every thought. It's just a little child thought. It's not a big deal. Take captive every thought. It's just a woman thought. It's not a man soldier thought. It's just a little baby thought. I understand, take captive every thought. And the Bible says you'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is made complete. Once you have attacked those areas, even in your brain, and declared God's word is going to be the standard of my life. Because slowly these philosophies creep in and they damage us in so many ways. Now, the Great Wall of China, one of the seven wonders of the world, it's interesting, this wall is 4,000 feet uh, sorry, 4,000 miles long. That's a long wall. If you drive from New York to L.A., you've driven 2,460 miles. 
The Great Wall of China, you, you do hear what I just said, it spans almost twice as wide as the United States of America. This is incredible when you evaluate how wide, 4,000 miles wide. This was a huge wall that was built to protect China from barbarian invasion. And it's interesting as we're evaluating how this young king came in and cleaned house and began to take captive every thought. It's kind of the way the wall is because this wall was too wide for any of those barbarian invaders to go around. It was too high for any of them to scale over and too thick for any of them to penetrate. How many of you know this wall was a great protective effort on behalf of uh, China? Yet the first year the wall was completed, China was invaded and the wall was breached three times. How in the world could they have breached the wall? All three times it was exactly the same way. Guess what happened? Nobody went around, nobody went over, nobody went through. All three times they bribed a gatekeeper. This incredible wall to protect these people was breached at the gate where they bribed somebody and they just opened the gate and let them in. Listen, you and I have the gates of our eyes and the gates of our ears. I mean, you know the world system tries to bribe its way into our thinking through those gates. And if we don't keep those gates, if we don't guard our heart, if we don't take every thought captive, there begins to be these damaging philosophies that don't immediately make a huge impact normally. It takes a long time. It starts to fortify and establish all these arguments that get established and deep down inside of our hearts. Uh, you're blank, if you would, if you've got your note card. It's only when we renew our minds and get God's Word seated deeply in our hearts that we begin rising above the world's damaging philosophies. And we must rise above those philosophies. I know it sounds almost you know, old school to say it, but it's utterly true. And I'll give you just a few illustrations we talk about here some. But, you know, the whole idea of follow your heart. Follow your heart. It's a great adage, isn't it? I mean, it, feels, it sounds so sweet and sounds so wonderful. Follow your heart. In Genesis chapter 8, every inclination from man's heart is wicked from childhood. Follow your heart. In Jeremiah, uh, where, where it says a man's heart is desperately sick and beyond cure. Follow your heart. I want to say the Bible doesn't say follow your heart. The worldly philosophy says follow your heart. The Bible says guard your heart. It says protect what you allow to get in there because once it gets in there and takes root, it'll take control of your life. Everything that gets in your heart shows up in your life. Everything that gets in your heart is expressed with passion. When it's in your heart to do something, that's why you've got to guard your heart and be very protected uh, about what it is that goes into your brain and takes root in your heart, and, and your heart can take you in the wrong direction. How many of you ever followed your heart before and you messed up really bad? Can I just see you yeah, passionately in the wrong direction about something because it was big in your heart and you didn't check it with the Lord? And so ponder this and, and realize this. That's why we need each other speaking into uh, to our lives. I've said this before, it's important to understand that particularly in the context of today, the word darkness and ignorance have the same origin. They come from the same word origin. They're born from the same place, darkness and ignorance. The enemy wants to work, he's the kingdom of darkness and you know, works in the kingdom of darkness, he works in ignorance when we don't know the word. 
And the same parallel is drawn when we see uh, light and knowledge. Same word origin where we get light, we get knowledge. So we want to come out of darkness into his marvelous light, out of ignorance and blindness into his marvelous knowledge, the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and here's the thing, truth problems, truth problems are the true problems behind our issues. If, if we don't get our thinking right, then we are bound and determined to go off the rails at some point. That's why we want to come back always to the truth of his word. Truth problems are the true problems behind our issues. I know it's kind of wild, but you think about it. Behind every sin we ever commit is a lie we chose to believe. And so we need to come back constantly, clean house, like, Joe, like King Joash did. Clean house and draw out the things that shouldn't be there and focus in on the love and the life of Jesus Christ so that we can fulfill everything God's called us to. And, and, and don't, don't be confused to think that what you believe doesn't determine how you behave because what you believe absolutely determines how you behave. If you ever believed something that wasn't true and then you behaved accordingly, then you found out, oh, whoops, that's wrong. I'll give you an illustration. Tracy and I were in a store shopping somewhere out of state. Don't remember where we were doing. I just remember I had on a yellow jacket, and I'm walking across the store. And I see something kind of further away, and I didn't tell her, hey, I'll be right back. I just left. And then a little later, I'm walking back. About the time I see her come up, and there's another man in a yellow jacket with resembling uh, long, flowy hair like mine. And, and as he's standing there in his yellow jacket, long thick, flowy hair. She thinks to herself, this is Lawrence. She comes up and, and uh, you know, she's like coming up to like be affectionate to this guy. And I'm seeing this happening, going on and I, and I just about the time she was, you know, no, she wouldn't do that. Really. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. <laughs> but just about the time she was going to express herself to him, I walked up to the situation. She just had the wrong information. It was about to take her. What she was believing was causing how she's behaving, but she wasn't believing right, so she wasn't behaving right. And I'm just going to say for you and for me, what we're believing is determining how we're behaving. And if we're believing right, we're behaving right. And if we're believing wrong, we're behaving wrong. That's why we understand biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives. If we don't know the word, we don't know what to believe. You don't know how to fight the enemy. I, I, I want you to understand the devil's smarter than anybody in this room. He's been around a long time. He's very well organized, legions of demonic forces. All this stuff is reality, and we see in Scripture, and, and we can kind of wink at it and pretend like it's all fairy tale if we want to, but I promise you the devil wants to chew you up and gulp you down and destroy everything about your life and your kids and everybody around you. And Jesus combated the enemy in one way, and he said this three different times, it is written. And the power of God's Word enacted and awakened in our lives is what will defeat and destroy the enemy so profoundly every single time. Every, I, I want you to, to get this because we really need to understand you can conquer every single time. You have that capacity within you to conquer every single temptation. Jesus was tempted like us, the Bible says, but every, every single time he was tempted, 
He chose to turn to the Father rather than to the sin. You and I can turn to the Father every single time. Do you believe that today we can take one step forward, live a little higher, and conquer sin a little more, become more of the people God's called us to be? Let's receive that today, and let's walk that out in our everyday lives in Jesus' name. Biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives, and that's why, particularly on a day of education, it's important for us to note it's easier to train a child than it is to repair an adult. How many of you had to be repaired because of some absence and vacuum of things that you didn't get when you were growing up? Just hold up your, your hand there, right? Uh, and the reality is the people who wouldn't hold up their hands and say, yeah, that's me, there's like more stuff to be repaired there. And so, you know, we, we learn this and we start to figure this out in the church. It's like we stop trying to be something that we're really not. And we're just honest about the fact we just need Jesus. We just need people that will love us forward even when we make dumb mistakes. And I'm like the mayor of dumb town sometimes with my own mistakes. I'm so thankful for the grace of God that we can walk forward and and more than conquer in those circumstances. It's much better to learn by instruction than it ever is to have to learn by correction. How many of you prefer instruction over correction? Uh, absolutely. We want instruction where we learn in advance and rather than having to bit hit in the head later, you know, correction comes. Well, this is what was going on in Kings, and we kind of land here uh, for today. But in Kings, we see that the prophets were bringing all this information to the, the kings. The prophets were having to come and bring the word of the Lord to the kings. And, and largely, the reason the prophets were having to bring this revelation, this is a really important element, was because the priests were neglecting their duty to teach. So these kings struggling, many times were struggling because the priests, the priesthood was not actually teaching the word. So then the prophets had to come and autocorrect. So as teachers, it's a pretty important thing for every single one of us because we're all actually kings, priests, and prophets. You realize that? We need to be about the business of constantly teaching his word, and we can't be teaching his word if we're not learning his word. And that's why I want to challenge you today, your, your commission, your God's presence for real life action point, turn the page. Just stay in there. Read and study the Bible. We love Jesus we love his word that helps us to know him more let me just say that is who we are if you want to know how do we express who we are as a church family that's about the best way to say it. i can't think of a better more pure way we love jesus and we love his word that helps us love jesus even more it's what it's all about so turn the page and i encourage you to recognize that and let me just say as a destiny family all of us are contributors and we're a part of this mission to train and equip and educate through our Christian school as one of our wonderful ministries here. And it's our privilege to train children with a strong moral compass of God's Word right at the center of everything we teach. Because the priests need to take their role to teach so the prophets don't have to come in and autocorrect. We can learn by instruction and not have to learn by correction if we're willing to do that. So Lord, thank you that we can just come together as a family, dig in, dive in a little deeper into your word every single week. We ask that you'd stir our hearts to know you more intimately, to express you more effectively, to discover you more readily in places of prayer and study of your word. In 
Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Come on, let's all pray this prayer. Just a prayer of lordship. Love to pray this with my family constantly. And love to pray, pray this with my church family constantly. Very important declaration to make every day of our lives, in my view, just the lordship of Christ. So say this with me. Would you say it out loud? This is a good day. This is a wonderful day. This is the day the Lord has made. Jesus came. Jesus lived. Jesus died. He's alive. He's the Savior of the world. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. This is a wonderful day. I surrender my life more completely to God and the purposes of God. In Jesus' mighty name.